Let me tell you a story Let me fill your ears Let me tell you a story Could be heartbreak, could be tears Could be allegory It doesn't have to be Let me tell you a story Lend your ears to me Let me tell you a tale or two Something made up can be something true Let me tell you a story Let me tell you a story This is a story for you I swear I didn't kill my fiancé, but maybe if I would have believed him, he'd still be alive. By Jeremy Alderman. The following is a transcript of an interview held by the Collier Police Department. This interview is being tape recorded. I am officer of the Collier Police Department. Ma'am, would you please state your full name for the record? My name, I just told you. This is for the record, ma'am. Please just state your full name. My name is Sarah Lindsay Gamble. What is the point of this? I told you he's dead. I just want to make sure his parents know. I don't, I don't Ma'am, ma'am, please, we just need a complete statement for the record. All you need to do and all you've done so far is told us that he's dead. We need to know who he is. What's your connection to him? Can you do that for me, please, ma'am? Please stop calling me, ma'am. You sound like one of my students. I'm an elementary school teacher, fourth grade. Call me Sarah. Okay, Sarah. Now, will you please tell us the name of the deceased and explain your relationship to him? Ah, uh, yes. Yes. His name is... His name was James Wagner. I'm his girlfriend. Well, fiancé. We live together. Fuck! It's hard, you know. I guess I'm going to have to get used to referring to James in the past tense. It's okay. Please go on. We shared an apartment in Breckenridge. The actress is, for the record, it's about 200 miles from here. And how long have you two been cohabitating? You know, that is to say, how long have I you been... I know what cohabitating means. I'm a school teacher. Sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to snap at you. It's just two years. We had been living together for two years in August. Okay, and what was the purpose of your visit to the town of Collier, Sarah? Look, I'm just... I really... Can I maybe have a cigarette? I quit last year. I, I just really need a cigarette right now. I'm afraid the station is smoke-free, Miss Gamble. Fuck! Sorry. It's fine. It's a bad habit anyway. Look, I'll tell you everything, but I want to make something clear, alright? Certainly. This statement, it's not a confession, alright? I didn't kill my boyfriend. This isn't my fault. If I have any responsibility for his death, it's because I didn't believe his story. I didn't take him seriously. I shouldn't have let him return to that, that fucking terrible house in the woods. But how could I have known? How could anyone believe something like that? Ms. Gamble, Sarah, would you prefer to make your statement in the presence of your attorney? You have that right. And anytime you want to stop this interview for that purpose, it stops. No, I don't have a... No. No, sir. I don't need a lawyer. There's no point. Very well. Now, could you please tell us what happened, starting from the beginning? Okay. 
The story, or at least my part of the story, began two days ago at about 3.30 in the morning. I woke in the bed I shared with him, feeling the need to urinate, and I got up, taking care not to wake him in the process. He had always been a light sleeper. Lately, his insomnia had been acting up, so any sleep he could get, well, I wouldn't want to interrupt that. Apart from the insomnia, have you noticed any other changes in Mr. Wagner's behavior or mental state? I'm his girlfriend. I'm closer to him than anyone else on Earth. What was, was closer. Whatever. He'd always suffer from depression, or at least he had as long as I'd known him. But like a lot of people who suffer from depression, he learned ways to cope with it. Sometimes, like if you didn't know him like I knew him, you couldn't even tell. He could be a fun guy. People liked him. Alright, if we could get back to the events in question. Hold on. Damn it, I'm getting to it. I, I'm sorry. I know you're just doing your job. I keep blowing up on you. That's fucked up. It's okay, Sarah. Go on. In your own words. Alright. Can I get a glass of water? My throat's dry. Sure. Hey, can I get a glass of water in here? Thanks. Thank you. Alright, ma'am, you're talking about Mr. Wagner's mental state. Yes. I was going to say he had always been depressed, but over the past few weeks I had noticed a steep increase in his... in his symptoms. And do you believe he was suicidal in this time? No. Maybe. I'm not sure. But he was in a bad way. He couldn't work, could barely leave the house. I had to force him to sometimes. Most of the time he just sat there with a faraway look in his eyes, like he was thinking about something, I guess. The first thing I noticed was his nightmares. He denied ever having them, but you know, it wasn't the sort of thing you could hide from the person you slept in the same bed with you every night. He would thrash, he would moan, he would kind of talk in his sleep. Nothing I could make out. Usually he would wake up gasping. Now, did the two of you ever discuss his troubles? No. I tried to sit down with him and talk about things, but never could get him to own up to anything. I guess he thought he could hide it from me, that I wouldn't know, that it would pass and he would eventually return to his old self again. I guess I thought that, too, for a while. And what changed that? The, uh, the night in question changed that, I guess. It was only by chance that I gained the insight I now have into his troubles. His plan was to just sort of disappear from my life. That's what I figured when I found what he had left for me. And what did he leave for you? A note. Or a confession, maybe you would call it. I found it on the way back to bed. I had decided to grab a drink of water first, so I detoured into the kitchen. That's where I noticed a stack of paper, which had not been there when I went to bed. On the counter. I might have gone to bed without giving it a second look, and perhaps that would have been better. I guess you never know how things might have turned out differently. You could drive yourself crazy thinking about the possibilities, you know? Would it have been better or worse being left to wonder what had become of him? It's irrelevant, I suppose. What happened, happened. Nothing is going to change that. I just wish I had stopped him, that's all. And what did the note say? He never spoke of his brother, really. He told me once that Joel had died, but he wouldn't say anything else about it. In fact, he seldom spoke of his childhood at all. The story he detailed in that stack of papers provided the clearest glimpse I'd ever had into his past. 
In the story, he talked about the woods that he would explore as a child. He said he sort of coerced his brother into following him deeper into the woods. Deeper than he had gone before, I mean. He said they found a house in the woods, and that while inside, a demon came up from the cellar and took poor Joel away. Said Joel stared at him while the awful thing's poisons ate at them. As the thing carried him away, he said something about how the guilt was eating him alive, that he had to go back to that place and, I don't know, set things right? Or maybe he didn't know why. And did you believe this story? No, of course not. But I didn't think he was making it up either. Not exactly, not intentionally, I guess is what I mean. It was clear, the way he had been acting and the pain and the agony that shone through every line of that story. It would have been inconceivable that he would channel that sort of grief into a into a campfire story, you know? So then what, what did you think? At first, I didn't know what to think. It scared the hell out of me, I can tell you that. But I couldn't make sense of it. I sat there in the kitchen reading the story over and over again until finally I thought I had it figured out. I played armchair psychiatrist and it cost James his life. That's what I believe. That's what I know now. Joel, I decided, had simply gotten lost somewhere in those woods. Maybe he fled from the house, if indeed there even ever was a house, and fallen victim to a nasty fall or a wild animal. Something like that. James would have felt responsible for Joel's death, and over the span of 20 years or so, he externalized that guilt into a scapegoat, this demon. It's the only thing that made sense to me. So what did you do? Well, I thought if I somehow prevented him or forbade him from returning to the woods, that wouldn't fix anything. You have to understand, he was a mess. I could see he was well on his way to a breakdown and a bad one. I figured if he went to the house and confronted his fears, like he planned, he would see what really happened that day, and he could move on from it. Like I said, armchair psychiatrist. The only change I intended to make was that I would accompany him on his journey. I had to be there to catch him when he fell, so to speak. And how did you convince him to bring you along? <laughs> I'm his girlfriend. I'm a woman. That's what we do. We win arguments. I crept back in bed and waited, wide awake, for him to try to sneak out. I passed the time preparing all my gambits for the fight to come. In another hour, James rose without the aid of an alarm and began the process of surreptitiously preparing for his departure. I confronted him, having never fallen back asleep, already dressed and ready to present my case. Predictably, he was resistant to the idea of my tagging along, but his battle was lost before it began. He was doomed by his failure to creep out while I slumbered, really. I dug my heels in and budged not an inch. Finally, he agreed to let me come along, under three conditions. Okay, what were these three conditions? One, if he told me to run, I must run immediately and without argument. Two, when it came time to enter the cellar, he would do so alone. Three, if he did not emerge from the cellar in a space of half an hour, I was to leave and presume him dead. I agreed to his terms, but intended to follow my own instincts in the moment, naturally. 
Shortly thereafter, we were on the road. James said little. He seemed lost in thought and deeply troubled. At first, I took his expression to be one of sorrow or of introspection, but as the miles unrolled beneath us, I realized the truth. He was terrified. I cannot imagine the will it would take a person to confront the source of decades of horror and grief, and to do so knowing no way to overcome that terrible thing. I couldn't imagine it then, that strength of will, and less so now that I know the truth. Which is what, exactly? Please, officer, let me get there in my own way. This is... I know it's important that you want to know what happened, all the details, but I want to forget, and this is hard for me, telling the story again, reliving. Okay, okay, do you need to take a break? No. No, thank you. I just need to... I just need to tell it. Have it done with. Then you're going to tell his mother, right? Right, yes. In your own time, Sarah, please. We arrived at our destination just short of 11.30 in the morning. Collier, here. He grew up here. That's what he said. His family, they left somewhere between 15 and 20 years ago. Probably closer to 20. They didn't want to stick around after after Joel, you know? We stopped at that gas station, Kathy's, when we got to town. Ate a slice of pizza, had a bottle of water. Just a bite before heading into the woods. I figured at that point the woods would be leveled. They weren't. Where are these woods located? I didn't get a really good idea of the geography coming through. We came in on the north side by way of... I think it's 75? Yep, that's right. Right, so we crossed through town until we got to 11th Lane. That's the street that he lived on. The house he grew up on wasn't there anymore. Just an empty, weedy lot. Maybe it burned down or maybe it got torn down. There was a bit of a foundation there. That was it. The driveway was sort of overgrown, but it was still there. That's where we parked. There are some other houses on the street, but they were sort of far away. The lot was bordered on every side by fields. Farmland. I guess you would know. You live here. Right. In the woods? Still there. I could see them from the lot, a long field away. We stood there for a minute, staring across the way. He told me he used to call that forest the field, because the field that he had to cross to reach it. He didn't say much else. After a while, he started walking, and I had to follow him. But I'll tell you something. Something that made no sense at the time. What's that? I hated those woods. I never felt that way about a place before in my entire life. They were a quarter mile away, and I felt at that moment I had no business taking one step closer. But I did. I promised I would help James through this thing, and I meant to keep my promise. James' story spoke of a sort of turning point, a place where he and Joel could have fled and maybe everything still could have been okay. I think that moment was my turning point. If I would have listened to my instinct and just just dragged James kicking and screaming back home, done the thing I should have done in the first place and gotten him therapy, I guess he would still be here. That's what I believe. Instead, I followed him. We walked across the field in silence, under the blazing sun. It's funny. Well, not funny, but, well, you know. 
I told myself that nothing that bad could happen in the middle of the day. Even in James' story, nothing bad happened until after the sun went down. That wouldn't happen for hours. I was still scared, but in some sort of superstitious and utterly unspoken way, I felt like I was safe under the sun. <laughs> Isn't that stupid? No, ma'am, it isn't stupid at all. We, mankind, has felt that way since the beginning of time. It's, it's not stupid. Thanks. So, eventually, we reached the end of the field and sort of followed the tree line for a ways. He stopped at a spot that looked at first more or less like any other spot to me, but he said it was the entrance. It had just grown over a bit. So he trudged through the thick weeds, and I prayed I wouldn't step on a rattlesnake or something. Some kind of snake. I didn't know, and it wasn't long before we reached the edge of the creek. The weeds were thinner in the shade of the trees. It was sort of a steep drop, and being the later part of summer, that creek was bone dry. Standing on the edge, James pointed off to the left, where I saw the rusted remains of a car. The ground was so thick on the windows you couldn't see inside at all. He told me that in all the times he had explored those woods, he had never had the courage to look inside. He was sure he would find a dead body. He figured, much as I did, that the car had just broken down for the last time at some point, and its owner had simply abandoned it there. Can you identify the make and model of that car? No. I think it was a Chrysler, but I wouldn't swear to that. I guess you'll see it when you guys go down there. It's the only ducked car I saw along the way. So as I was saying, we stood there at the edge for a second, looking down and thinking about the drop. I was going to suggest we find an easier way down, but James just sort of scrambled down the slope, stumbled over a rock, and jumped back to his feet. No worse for wear. I was scared, but he just sort of helped me down, holding onto my feet, and made it without breaking my neck or even busting my ass. And did you find the house? Eventually. I don't think it was very far as a crow flies, but the riverbed was full of twists and turns. It seemed to be made up entirely of huge, slick, moss-covered rocks and deep, shoe-stealing mud pits. And mosquitoes. God, there were so many mosquitoes. I must be covered in bites. My own fault, I guess, for not bringing any bug spray. I guess all in all, it took about two hours or so to reach the house. Still only mid-afternoon, so that was okay. Another grueling scramble up the river bank, and we were standing in the yard. It might have been three o'clock. Now, could you describe the house? Sure. It was two stories tall, sort of a grayish no color that may have been decades ago have been white. It was ugly, blocky, one step above Clapbird, really kind of big not too big bigger than you would think I guess you might say it had a front porch that was saggy but not collapsed and the windows still had glass in them which I considered to be a minor miracle it looked old but it wasn't falling apart not really you could tell no one was taking care of it the door was hanging off its hinges which I remembered from James's story it fell off the hinges when they tried to open it we stood there for several minutes, I guess waiting for James to summon the courage to step inside. Staring up at the house, I believed irrationally, though wholeheartedly, that the house was the source of my fear in those tainted woods. That, that it sort of radiated some kind of malice. 
I thought it was irrational then. I don't now. Did you go in the house? Yeah. Finally, James said something like, It's still there. I think that's what he said. He was sort of saying it to himself. I got the impression he forgot I was there. He didn't look okay. His skin looked sort of gray, like the house. He was sweating, but it didn't seem like it was from the heat. He sort of jerked forward, like he had to force himself to start moving. And I followed him. Now, did it seem like the house was occupied? No, not at all. It was exactly as he had described in his story. There was some nasty old furniture, a stove, stuff like that. Other than that, it was empty. In fact, and this to me is the damnedest thing, it didn't even seem like animals had been there. I didn't even see any spider webs. Can you believe that? Old abandoned house, open to the elements. Not hardly. I'd expect spider webs, mud dauber nests, mice, you name it. There was nothing like that, nothing at all. Oh, it was old, yeah, it was dirty. The ceiling sagged and the couch was rotting, but as for signs of life, me and James, that's it. And I would have staked my life on it. And I think I knew why, because I felt it ringing out in every nerve in my body. We shouldn't have been there. Nothing should have. Animals felt it and they stayed far the fuck away. I think I was crying the entire time we were in there. An empty house, middle of the day, no one there but me and my boyfriend, and I was terrified. James walked straight into the kitchen and crouched down looking at something. I followed in, followed him in there so I could see. What was it? The cellar door. That is where he said the demon took his brother. I thought of him going down there, leaving me alone. I begged him not to do it. I begged him to take me home, forget about all of this. I wasn't playing armchair psychiatrist anymore. I didn't care a bit about confronting fears or anything like that. I wanted to run away. I couldn't leave him behind. I, I wouldn't. He didn't listen, of course. He wouldn't even answer me. He just told me to stand back, and he repeated his command to leave if he was gone for more than half an hour. He had his hands on the knotted bit of rope that served for a handle, and he glared at me until I stepped far back into the living room. When I was finally far enough away for him, he took a deep breath, lifted the door, and descended. He closed the door behind him, and it slammed shut. It sounded so final. For the next few minutes, I just sat there, sobbing, staring into the kitchen. I guess I was still holding out hope that the only thing he'd find down there was some old, dusty mason jars or some firewood from 50 years ago. Maybe then he would understand that his brother's death wasn't his fault, and we could go home. What happened? At first, nothing. He didn't run out of there. I didn't hear any screams. No no bat out of hell came flying out of there. Nothing. I just sat there with my sobs slowly tapering off. I could hear the cicadas outside making that weird call of theirs. I guess after a while, I decided I was just letting my imagination run wild with me. That James was just sitting down there in the dirt, coming to terms with things, and he'd be out any moment. Well, he didn't. I guess I sat there for about 30 minutes, just sort of chewing my fingernails and waiting for something to happen. When nothing kept happening, I decided it wouldn't hurt anything to stretch my legs and have a look around. 
That's what I told myself I was doing, but it wasn't true. So, so what were you doing? I was looking for the book. That was a detail from James' story that my mind just kept coming back to. I guess I didn't mention it before. And how does a book tie into all this? James found it in the upstairs bedroom. It was the only thing in the house that stood out to him. He was going to take it for a souvenir, but he had no more than laid his hand on it when he heard the cellar door open. The story made no more mention of it, so I assumed it was still there. I guess I was just curious. I wanted to know what it had to say, assuming it said anything. And did you find it? Yeah. Yeah, I found it. Listen, officer... Officer... You've been, well, I'm not sure kind is the right word, but you've been decent enough to listen to what I have to say. I know when I got here I was kind of a mess, screaming, and, well, I don't even remember too well. I'm sure you have to think I went nuts, that I killed James, and you're just waiting for me to tell you how I did it. I know there's no way you'll be able to believe what I'm about to tell you, and I just want you to know that's okay. I've got to tell someone. I'll tell you what, Sarah. You just tell your story, and I'll figure out what I think from there. <sighs> okay. Right. So I started climbing up the stairs, and that's when I saw them. The footprints. I mean, James said that wherever the demon stepped, he would leave charred footprints on the wood. The dust on the floor was so thick I almost couldn't see them, but they were there. Black marks. Shaped shaped like some kind of foot. Not a human foot. And they were big. The top floor was nothing more than a landing in the bedroom, and I could see it was just as James had said. There was a closet next to the doorway. That must have been where James had hidden. Straight across from the doorway was the wardrobe. Its door had been ripped off and thrown to the side. That's where Joel was hiding when that thing found him. The book was on a table next to the bed, and I noticed it was the only thing in the house that wasn't coated with an inch-thick layer of dust. I reached out to the book, but I hesitated. James didn't come right out and say so, but it seemed like touching the book had sort of triggered the thing's arrival. I could be doing the same thing. I agonized over it for a few minutes. But in the end, I just wasn't far enough over the deep end to really believe that it could be true. So I picked up the book. And? Well, I didn't hear anything. No trapdoor slamming, no unearthly scream, no clap of thunder like in a cheap horror film. Nothing. Still, I almost start dropped the book right away. It felt disgusting. It felt like I was holding a dead animal or something. It made me feel unclean. I set it back on the table, but I didn't leave it alone. I started looking through it. What did it say? At first, it was just a journal. I guess it belonged to the original owner. He and his family lived here in the mid-60s. Not exactly pioneer days, but they were living rough. Small farm patch, they raised chickens, a couple of goats. He said he used to work at a factory in town, but he had a dream. He dreamed he was supposed to build this house in this spot and live there with his family. Said an angel showed him the place. The next several pages I just sort of skimmed over. 
It was all a lot of day-to-day descriptions of their life in the old house. The farming, raising the kids, that sort of thing. They were very religious, and I got the impression that he was waiting for another sign from God. Well, he got it, or (laughs) at least he thought he did. How so? His wife wanted a root cellar so they could keep preserves, you know, so he set about digging her one. Well, he got it just about as deep as he wanted it when he struck stone. Masonry. There was a stone floor under the house, you see. A man-made structure. That night, he had another dream. In this dream, the angel told him God had for him a test of faith. First, he would have to completely uncover the slab, clear it of dirt. After that, the angel instructed him to take a sacrifice of all his livestock. He was to take the blood of the goats and the chickens, and with it draw on the stone floor a certain symbol, which the angel would reveal unto him. The angel told him that if his faith was true, and if he followed God's commandment, then the Lord would bless his family forevermore with good health, love, and plenty. I'm quoting a lot here. And did he do it? Yes, he did. But if the Lord blessed him, he made no mention of it in his journals. The next entry was his final entry. It seems that after he painted the symbol on the floor, he was visited by the angel one last time in a vision more powerful than any that came before it. The angel told him to gather his family together at dusk and lead them into the cellar, where the Lord would shine down his countenance and bestow upon them his blessing. That's more or less what it said. And there was nothing else in the journal after that? Not quite. On the last page, I think it was the symbol. It was a circle with a circle within it. The inner circle was crisscrossed with lines and bordered with little ruins or letters or something. I stared at it and all of a sudden my vision went red. I passed out. You fainted? How long were you out? A while. A long while. When I came to, the sun was setting. It must have been hours. Immediately, I went into a panic. Because of James, you know? He was still down there. I left the book behind and scrambled down the stairs, fishing the flashlight out of my bag as I went. I was lucky I didn't bust through the stairs, break my neck. I guess I was lucky for that. I ran straight for the trapdoor and threw it open before my brain could catch up and try to stop me. I hit the bottom of the stairs and finally I took a breath. And that's when the smell hit me. Nothing could have prepared me for that. That reek, that unclean, open, grave, maggot, writhing, fetulent stench. It was the stench of the pit. And at the bottom of those steps, I reeled, retching at the gates of hell. Did you find James? Yes. And he was still alive then. They wanted me to watch, you see. Who, who did? There were so many of them. Dozens. Huge, emaciated, ragged, corpse-like things. They weren't all just like the one James described, but they all swarmed with that dreadful black miasma. That swirling, caustic vapor that ate Joel alive. And they weren't human, or never human. The room was illuminated by this terrible swamp light. It came from them, somehow. They were staring. 
staring at me, waiting. You're, you're saying, you're telling me this basement was full of... Demons. Or if they weren't demons exactly, they were something so close as to make the distinction irrelevant. And James, he was in the center of them all, pegged to the floor and stripped naked. It looked like some sort of sick parody of Christ. Pierced through the hands and feet, you know? Stakes. Right in the center of that symbol. His face, his skin was burned all over. It was bleeding from a dozen places, but... But... It's okay, Sarah. You don't, you don't have to continue. He was it's okay. aware. He could see me. He, he knew what was happening. I think he was trying to scream at me and tell me to run away, but, but they had taken his tongue, pulled out his teeth. They must have spent hours tormenting him while I just sat up there waiting for him to come out. I couldn't move. I couldn't run away. I was just like a frightened animal. It was all too big too big to process. Finally, as if by some unheard signal, these damn things, they converged on James. I listened to him scream and scream until, I guess, my mind finally sort of snapped. I don't remember anything until yesterday, when you found me wandering the streets. That's the whole story, I guess. Sarah, let, let's say these demons were real. Assuming that's possible, have you considered the question of why they would let you leave? Why didn't they take you too? At first, I couldn't figure that out either. It didn't make sense to me until I found this in my pocket. Is that the... Symbol. Yes. I must have taken it from the journal before I left. When I looked at it, I knew. The understanding, it just sort of came into me. Those things down there, they were still tethered to the stone, to the house. So they needed me to bring this to you. You had to witness the symbol. Not you, exactly, just someone away from the house. Someone in a populated area. They needed a witness and... You have to understand, officer, I didn't want this. I just wanted to be. He, I've got to do this. They needed a witness and, and a sacrifice. I, I've got to. What do you, what do you mean? Sa what What do you? She, she has a razor. She hit a razor in her hair. Sarah, no, no, don't. Call an ambulance. She just slid it. 